You're about to listen to another inspiring word from House on the Rock Church, the London Lighthouse. For more information and interaction with House on the Rock, please visit our website on hotr.org.uk. Let's rise up for the, for the reading of God's Word as we open our Bibles to the book of Psalms, very famed, popular portion of Scripture, Psalms chapter 23. We could read the whole psalm, but because of time, we're going to read only one verse, and that is verse 5 of Psalms 23. Psalms 23 and verse 5. Hallelujah. Let's read together. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Hallelujah. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The Lord, who is the good shepherd, prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Uh, this table was not hurriedly put together. He, this table was deliberately prepared for me and for you. He took time out to prepare this table for us. He designed a table for you. He designed a table for me. And it's in the presence of my enemies, meaning that my enemies can do nothing about it. Meaning my enemies cannot stop the preparation of the table. Meaning that my enemies can only look on to what is happening, but can stop it from happening. And sometimes the enemies try to steer you down. Am I talking to anybody? Uh, and if looks could kill, many of us would have been dead many times over. Uh, but it's actually him that observes who is looking at him that even knows that anybody is looking at him. I'm ignoring that enemy and doing exactly what I need to do. But then the Lord corrected me and said that the enemies are not even there just for them to be looking and trying to stare you down. They are there to serve you. Can I declare to somebody that your enemies are going to serve you in this month of May? Just like Pharaoh ended up serving Moses, your enemies are going to serve you in this month of May. If you believe it, shout amen. God went on to tell me that your enemies are actually your friends. That your enemies accelerate you towards the fulfillment of purpose and attainment of destiny, even faster than your friends would. Peter tried to stand between Jesus and the cross, while Judas accelerated Jesus to the cross. Your enemies are your friend. When God really gets to you to where he wants to get you to, you're going to find out that there are some enemies you need to go back to and say thank you. That person that dumped you, you need to go back and say thank you for dumping me. Because if you didn't dump me, I wouldn't have found the place where I am today. Does anybody hear me what I'm saying? Give God the praise. But my focus is not so much on the enemies that are onlooking or that are serving me. My focus is on the table that he has designed for me. And the subject of my medita meditation is he designed a table for you. 
Help me tell your neighbor, he designed a table for you. He designed a table for you. Help me, Lord, my ever-present help in the time of need. Grant me utterance. Let yokes be destroyed. Let burdens be lifted. Let revelation flow freely in this house. Thank you, Lord, for great illumination. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. And the people said the loud amen. amen. And as you take your seat, tell your neighbor, he designed a table for you. He designed a table for you. All right. This is the first day in the month of May. It's also the first communion service in the month of May. We give God all the praise for this. And this early this hours or hours of this morning from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., we were in the place of prayer speaking into the womb of the month because we are not a company that waits to see what the month will hold. We're a company that determines what the month will hold by our prophetic declarations. And the prophetic word that God unveiled and revealed and has given us for this month of May is that this is our month of divine design. Now, that's a little bit of a strange word to some people wondering, what does that um, mean? He said that this is the month of divine design where God works all things together for good. Behind design, there is purpose. There is a purpose for every design. And our God is a God of purpose. And if our God is a God of purpose, it therefore also means that our God is a God of design. I didn't just come to preach this morning or to teach this morning. I came to prophesy. There is a divine design to all that he does uh, so that it all makes sense in the end. I decree and declare that God's divine design for your life is going to become apparent, is going to become clear even in this month in the mighty name of Jesus. If you believe it, shout amen. Our God is in charge. Our God is in control. Even when it looks like he's not in control, even when it seems like he's far away, he's still there behind the scenes making sure that things are coming together towards the end that is desired. Our God, we know, is omnipotent. Omnipotent means that he's all-powerful. Uh, once was it said, but twice have I heard that all power belongs to God. Our God is omnipotent. Our God is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing, he's all-wise, he's all-understanding. There is nothing outside the grasp of his knowledge. He's omniscient. Our God is omnipresent, which means that he's present everywhere at the exact same time, like he's present in this house this Sunday morning, he's present in the houses of those that are watching us online, and he's present in Nigeria, he's present in America, he's present everywhere all over the world, he's the ever-present uh, God, omni omnipresent. Uh, now, though my God is omnipotent, all-powerful, he very deliberately does not 
use all of his power to do everything that he could do. It is well within the power of my God to turn your will into remote control where you simply do exactly what he wants you to do. But my God, even though he has the power to do it because he's all powerful, he will not violate your will to force you to do what you don't want to do. Because sometimes the display of true power is not in what you do, but in what you refrain from doing. Is anybody hearing me what I'm saying? Sometimes the proof that you are powerful is not that you did what you could do with your power. It's because you had the strength to withhold doing what you could have done, retaliating the way you could have re retaliated with your power. So my God, even though he had the power to force all men to do exactly what he wants them to do, he said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to violate their will and their choice. I'm going to hold back. So what does he do? Because of his omniscience and his omnipresence, he already knows all things. And therefore, because he knows all things, because he has gone to the end of the story, he is therefore able to factor everything. He's able to factor everything into his grand divine design. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? Uh, so much so that even the willfulness of men still fits into his divine design. So much so that it would seem that even our mistakes were part of the plan. Hallelujah. Do you hear me what I'm saying? Uh, this God could have forced everybody to do everything exactly the way he wanted to do it. But he said, no, I, I'm going to show you that I'm bigger than you by not forcing you. I'm going to let you do and exercise your will, your willfulness. You get to choose and do whatever it is you want to do. But guess what? Because of my omniscience, knowing what you will do, the choices that you will make, uh, because I've already seen the end of the story, I've even factored your choices into the equation and worked them into my divine desire. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? So that at the end of the day, even your mistakes, even your errors will look like they are part of the master plan. Somebody go ahead and give God the praise this Sunday morning. Ah, yes. Uh, some things God commissions to be done. Some things he does himself, but some things he permits to be done. Uh, but whatever thing commissioned or permitted, it will still feed into his divine design. All things work together for good. In this month, his divine design in commissioning or permitting things will become apparent. He will make everything beautiful in his time. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. Oh yes, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we were celebrating the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But then in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, verse 6 to 9, he says, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. 
the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which, listen to verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Did you get that? Do you understand what that means? The, the rulers of the age, they gathered and they imagined what is the worst thing that we can do to the Lord of glory. And after some debates and some suggestions, they came to the conclusion that the worst thing they could do was to crucify him on a cross. And they went ahead and rolled out their plan. They executed their plan and they crucified him on a cross. And he was laid in a borrowed tomb. He had to be a borrowed tomb because he wasn't going to be there long. But even as they laid him in the tomb, they were rejoicing and throwing a party and having a dandy time because they thought that they had been victorious. Little did they know that after day one, after day two, and after day three, in the early morning, that my Lord and my King will burst the gates of hell and Hades, will break down the door of death and the grave and he will come back to life. Is anybody hear me what I'm saying? In other words, they did not know that their very actions of planning and plotting to crucify him was feeding into the very divine design of God Almighty. If they had known, they would have said, nobody touch Jesus. Please, nobody kill him. Nobody slap him. Leave him alone. We've got to keep him alive because as long as he's alive, the plan will not play out. Even so, can I prophesy to somebody this Sunday morning, all that is coming against you today, beloved of the Lord, it is ultimately working together for your good. Oh, you didn't hear me what I'm saying. All that is coming against you today is pushing you towards your destiny. If they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Can I apply it to you? If they had known, they would not have come against you the way they came against you. If they had known, they wouldn't have lied against your name the way they've lied against your name. If they had known, they wouldn't have slandered you. If they had known, they wouldn't have tried to convince others to turn on you too. If they had known, they would, have not, they would not have done everything that they have done against you because everything they have been doing against you, it's actually been playing out a script to serve you, to propel you into your destiny and into your purpose. If you believe and receive what I'm saying this Sunday morning, Go ahead and give God the praise. Design, design, design. A design is a plan or a drawing produced to show the look, uh, the look and function or the workings of a thing, the art of 
action of, or the action of conceiving of or producing a plan or drawing, an arrangement of lines or shapes created to form a pattern or decoration, uh, purpose, planning, or intention that exists and it is thought to exist behind an action, fact, or material object. Oh, my Jesus. Help me, Lord Jesus, Jesus this morning. Uh, there is no talking about design without talking about purpose because purpose is what births design. We design for purpose. We design on purpose. So wherever we see intricate design, there must be a purpose and a creator of that, that, that design. This singular truth is argument enough for the existence of God because the complexity of the human being and the human world held in such a, a delicate balance is an intricate design. And if there's an intricate design, there's a designer, a creator who does nothing without purpose. My God is a God of purpose and therefore a God of design. Uh, so now you and I must seek out purpose for in that knowledge of purpose we find the reason for design and true fulfillment. Oh yes, our God is a God of design. Synonyms for design include pattern, plan, blueprint, scale drawing, sketch, outline, draft, scheme, model, motif, uh, style, arrangement, composition. Oh yes, constitution, configuration, intention, plot or plan, target, preparation. Preparation is one of the synonyms for design. So our God is a God of design. Our God is a God of preparation. He prepares things in advance of what is about to happen. Ah, yes. So we read on in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. He says, but as it is written, I has not seen, air has not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men the things which God has designed. The things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yea, the deep things of God. I came to tell somebody this Sunday morning, God has prepared for you. God has prepared for you. Uh, nothing takes him by surprise. He knew what would be happening and what has been happening in your life. And he has prepared prepared for you. God has prepared wonderful things for you and for me. So wonderful that the natural eye has not seen it, nor the natural ear heard it, nor the natural heart been able to perceive what he has prepared for those who love him. Ah, yes, those who love him. Going back to Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, that my God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and accord according to his 
purpose. Did you get that? Uh, you, you love God. You are following his purpose. Then he causes all things to work together for your good. And you are able to walk into what he has designed, what he has prepared for you. The great things he has prepared are not naturally apparent. They are spiritually discerned and received by the spirit of faith. What has God prepared for you? Oh my. In this month of May, what has God prepared for you? Can I take a sidestep and let somebody know that God has prepared a new job for you? In this month of May, God has prepared a new opening for you. God has prepared a promotion for you. God has prepared a lifting for you. God has prepared unique favor for you. Even in this month of May, your job is to keep on walking until you step into what he has already prepared, designed for you. God has prepared many great and wonderful things for us his children. But this Sunday morning of the many things that he has prepared for us, our pilot text reveals that he has prepared a table. He has prepared a table. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. There is a prepared table. The Lord, my good shepherd, John chapter 10, uh, from the earlier verses, Jesus reveals himself to be a shepherd. And uh, it's interesting that a shepherd is preparing a table. Uh, that doesn't seem to be in the job description of a shepherd. I didn't expect shepherds to prepare uh, tables, but he says that is this same good shepherd that prepared a table for me. He divinely designed a table for me and for you. Uh, something missing. How, how does a shepherd prepare a table is not in his job description. I thought shepherds just take care of sheep, but he's saying that this shepherd didn't just take care of the sheep. In fact, when you read the earlier parts of Psalm 23, all of the actions he says that that shepherd was taking was congruent with what shepherds do, leading the sheep beside seed waters, causing them to lie down in green pastures, um, the rod and the staff, comforting them even when they walk away through the valley of the shadow of death. But then in verse 5, he suddenly says that he prepares a table. This is not in the job description of a shepherd uh, because this is not just a shepherd. This shepherd also has other competences. This is the good shepherd and the good shepherd is Jesus, all right? So Jesus is the good shepherd that prepares a table. But Jesus was, grew up as the surrogate son of a carpenter. <laughs> and in old age Israel, if you grew up the son of a carpenter, you became his trainee, you became his apprentice. So before Jesus entered into ministry, while he was walking in his father's house, Joseph the carpenter, he was learning carpentry. My good shepherd was learning carpentry. My good shepherd, according to normal customer was meant to become a carpenter in his own right. And there is no carpenter that is worth his sort that doesn't know how to put together 
a table. Ah, yes. So that's why my good shepherd, beyond being a shepherd, was also a carpenter. Uh, if you understand the spiritual input of what it means to be a carpenter, it means to be a builder. God is going to build somebody this month. He's going to build you up. He's going to build you strong. He's going to build you steadfast. He's going to build you powerful. Uh, my good shepherd, the carpenter, he's the one that prepared the table. He's the one that designed the table. And this was going to be a sturdy table indeed. A table that will be able to stand the test of time. Uh, stay with me, people. I'm going somewhere. What is the significance of a table? Uh, a table is a piece of furniture with a flat top uh, and one or more uh, legs, providing a level surface where objects may be placed that can be used for such purposes as eating, writing, working, or playing games. Now, typically, a table is a meeting place, a place of fellowship. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins uh, be as dark as crimson, I will make them as white as new, uh, as, as wool. Oh yes. A table is a place of exchange and interaction. A place of unity and community. Uh, my Lord, the Good Shepherd, who is also a carpenter, came uh, uh, not just to deliver me, not just to save me, not just to transport me on into seated places and heavenly places with him. He came to prepare a table for me and for you. The Lord's table, the Lord's table, the Lord's table. So Jesus, the good shepherd and also carpenter, made tables. He made tables. He prepared the table for me. What's this table? Uh, even though he prepared wooden tables as he was being trained by Joseph uh, as a carpenter, my Jesus was far more focused on the mystical table of redemption that he would prepare uh, on the table of the cross uh, just a few years down the road. Jesus came to prepare a table. Uh, and the table that we approach today, the communion table is a picture <laughs> of that table that Jesus came to prepare, that Jesus designed. It's a table of blessing. It's a table of redemption. It's a table of promotion. It's a table of salvation. It's a table of illumination. It's a table of elevation. It's a table of communion. It's a table of covenant. He prepared the table on a cross of wood on Golgotha's brow at Calvary's peak 2,000 plus years ago. But this table that he prepared, the real table that he prepared was not made of wood. It was made of his flesh and his blood. If there's anybody grateful for the table he designed for you, come on, go ahead and give God God the praise. Woo! Listen, this table was not an off-the-rack table. <laughs> 
when you say something is designed, hallelujah, I've had the pleasure of wearing some bespoke suits in my day. I'm still looking forward to the day where I'll do some um, um, several kind of suits, although suits seem to be going out of vogue right now. Everybody's going casual nowadays, but I know that fashion is in a cycle, just a matter of time before we get back to suits again somewhere down the road. Uh, but when it's bespoke, when it is properly designed, that means uh, yeah, 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 every nuance, every measurement of your body is taken into account uh, so that when you now put on that suit, it's like second skin. You know, there are some of the rack suits that you, are, you manage because it's, it doesn't quite, you know, you know how it is. It's just, you know how to wear it so nobody can notice that it's not quite fitting the way that it's meant to fit. But when it is properly fashion designed to your height, to your spec, to every nuance of your body, hey, Jesus, it does something to your self-esteem. It does something to your confidence that day when you step out. Uh, you step out with a new kind of swag because you know that you're a million bucks in that day. Well, that's what I came to tell you this Sunday morning, that Jesus designed a table for you that took into account every nuance of your personality, every mistake, every error. Oh, you know how it is, how some parts of your body, you're not too proud of it. You know how you're hide it up. I don't want nobody to see it. You know how when you're about to take the picture, you have to hold your breath and pull that thing in so that the picture will look good. Well, Jesus took into account your middle age spread. He took into account your height or lack thereof. He took into account every proportionality of your life. And he tailor-made fashion design to the specific need of your life, a table. If there's anybody that's grateful that God fashion designed his table for you, come on, go ahead and give God the praise. He designed it. He designed it to spec. He designed it to spec so that I would be able to lay aside every weight and every sin that doth so easily beset me. He knew about that sin that you are so vulnerable to that it seems that when he normally snaps his finger, you start to dance. He said, no, I have designed the table to deliver you even from that. Hallelujah. Woo! Glory to God, somebody give God the praise in this house. Hallelujah. The Lord's table is all about the price he paid. Therefore, what he prepared through his sacrifice is for each and every one of us. He designed a table for me and for you. He designed a table for me and for you. <laughs> and so, we must rightly discern the Lord's table. There's nothing his table cannot handle. 
First Corinthians in chapter 11, verse 27 to 30, as I start to bring this thing to the communion table and bring it to a close, we see Paul telling us about the table. And he says, therefore, whosoever eats bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Woo! This is a powerful portion of Scripture, and a portion of Scripture that makes a, little, a lot of people very uh, apprehensive of the communion table, of the Lord's table. Uh, but it, when we really rightly divide this Scripture and rightly understand it, it didn't say that if you are unworthy, you cannot partake of the table. It says that the, the issue is not about your personal worthiness or unworthiness, because none is worthy. No, not a one. It's about the worthiness of your manner. What is the manner? A manner is the way you do something. It's the, about the worthiness of the manner with which you approach the table. And what is an unworthy manner of approaching the table? It is to approach the table with a lack of understanding. To approach the table without discern, discerning the table. Without understanding what the table is about. That's why we must rightly discern the Lord's table. Oh yes. Listen, it is not the communion table that kills anybody or puts anybody to sleep. It can be a table of blessing and a table of cursing at the same time. Is anybody hear me what I'm saying? Therefore, this table is solely a table of blessing. But you don't unlock the blessing in the table if you don't rightly discern the table. If you don't rightly discern the table and you partake of the table, the table does nothing for you. And what happens is that the process of sickness and weakness and death that is already naturally in your flesh will continue to operate and will not be stopped the way it should be stopped by what this table provides. Are you getting me what I'm saying? So the table is not, you know how, we, how it was when they want to serve communion in our Orthodox churches, how we all feel so sober and scared when they're about to serve the communion and we are all shaking and repenting on our seats that, Lord, please forgive me. I'm so sorry, Lord, please. And that, you know, you, 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 are, you are trying to work up your repentance and your forgiveness and how um, sometimes if you don't feel that you've prayed enough or if you feel that my sins are too bad, when the communion comes to your side, you, you say, pass, pass me by, O oh, gentle Savior. This morning, I don't want to take it. Why? Because you are afraid that taking it with sin in you is going to kill you. That devil is a liar. It's not going to kill you. Hallelujah. It's meant to save you. It's meant to save you. Did you hear me what I'm saying? It's meant to save you. It's meant to set you free. It's meant to deliver you. Hallelujah. But the power to save you, deliver you, heal you, bless you is locked up in you rightly discerning its power to do that, and therefore having the faith to receive it. Hallelujah. Amen. Woo! Blessed be God. The significance of the body of Christ. <laughs> you see, the body of Christ, 
The two elements of this mystical table that the Lord designed for you and me is his body and his blood. It's not wood. Now, the scripture lets us know that his body was full of healing anointing, such that he was so full of healing anointing that he laid hands on the sick and they were healed, that people touched the hem of his garment and they were healed. That's how anointed his body was, full of healing anointing. So we, we believe and we know that the body particularly, the body of Christ particularly, speaks of healing, healing virtue. And we understand that on the cross, uh, on, the, on the pathway to the cross, Jesus, stripes were laid upon Jesus. <laughs> In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5, Isaiah the prophet is speaking. And like prophets would often speak because prophets have no respect for time. Because when you are under a prophetic anointing, you sometimes don't even know whether it's today, tomorrow, or 10 years in the future. You are just in the spiritual zone. So you say things as if they were now, but they are about the future. And so Isaiah writes, and Isaiah says about Jesus that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes... We what? We are healed. I don't understand Isaiah. Ah is present tense. He's saying that by his stripes we are healed. But Jesus hadn't even borne the stripes when Isaiah was saying this. Jesus hadn't been born. Jesus hadn't come to the earth. Jesus had not even gone to the cross. And he's saying that by his stripes we are healed. We are already healed. How is he? What's he talking about? He's talking like a prophet. And a prophet in the realm of the, prophet, of the prophetic is able to go into a future occurrence and speak about it as if it were present. But then we have a recounting of this same statement in the New Testament. In 1 Peter in chapter 2, verse 23 to 24, it says, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteousness, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that's the cross, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. Now listen to the statement. By whose stripes you were healed. Peter now puts it in past tense. Isaiah put it in present or future tense. He was speaking in the present of a future occurrence. But Peter says we were healed. Why is he putting it in past tense? Because when Peter was writing this, Jesus had already died on the cross. Jesus had already borne our stripes. Jesus had already risen from the dead. So it's not no longer something about something that's going to happen in the future. He's talking about something that has already happened. I'm sorry I'm going to bust somebody's bubble. The truth be told, if we are to be scripturally accurate, God is no longer healing anybody today. Oh, sorry, sorry. Why? Because he has already done it. He did it on the cross. He did it in his stripes. That's why by his stripes we were healed. From God's perspective, it's a done deal. It's already done. We might be coming into an experience of it now. So I will, I will accommodate the fact when we say God is healing you now. It's all right. 
We are not God in the heavens who knows it's already done. We on the earth will speak the language of our terminology and our time because we are experiencing it in the now. But really, from a God perspective and from a scriptural perspective, it's not something he's going to do. It's something that he has already done. In other words, you've got to come to the place where you know that you were so that you can be are. I have to know that by his stripes I was healed and if I was healed, therefore I am healed. You have to be were to be are. Am I helping anybody this Sunday morning? May you meditate and get this. We were, therefore, we are healed. Whew. A right discernment of these truths unlocks the power of healing that's in this ordinance. The significance of the other ordinance at the communion table, the blood, in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, it says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. The blood is all about access. Access granted to what we did not have access to before when he shed his blood, when he died on the cross and he shed his blood, the, the veil that separated the holiest of all from the rest of the temple was torn and it was torn from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top because it wasn't man reaching God, it was God reaching man. God tore the curtain himself and said, I'm granting you access now. The price has been paid in full. Now you can go where you couldn't go before. Now you can be what you couldn't be before. Glory, hallelujah. Uh, it's, it's full of all the benefits of the covenant because there is no covenant or remission of sin without the shedding of blood. So the blood of Jesus speaks Passover. The blood of Jesus speaks better things than the blood of Abel. This is the other element of the mystical divine table divinely designed for you and for me. The blood declares substitution and declares that you are righteous. You have rights to everything that Christ has. So when you partake of this table with the right discernment and the right revelation and understanding, you unlock the power of this table that was designed for you. It was designed for you. Hallelujah. We hope you've enjoyed this uplifting sermon from House on the Rock Church, the London Lighthouse. We hope you've been informed and inspired. Join us for services every Wednesday and Sunday. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HOTR London. Also, live stream our services on YouTube at HOTR London. For more information, visit our website on hotr.org.uk.